0: Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Um, whenever you're watching this, I wanna be the first to welcome you to week four of Band of Brothers in our study of the Gospel of John. Uh, that's titled, Love Divine, The Deity of Jesus in the Gospel of John. For those of you that might be a little bit confused, because I'm new, you are in the right place, so don't worry, but I, my name is Mitchell Doris. I am the new associate men's pastor here at Christ Chapel. And I've had the opportunity to meet some of you. Um, but for those of you who have not met me, what I want to do is take just a little bit of time to introduce myself. Um, so just a couple of things. Originally, I am from Shreveport, Louisiana, and I was born and raised there. Uh, from there, I graduated from Louisiana Tech. Uh, and when I graduated from there, my wife and I moved here. Well, we moved to Dallas, lived in Dallas for a little while, but then we moved here. The, the fun thing about my wife, she's actually here right now. Some of you probably know that we're filming and recording this in an empty room, but my wife is actually in the audience. Um, Can't see her, but she's somewhere in here. Um, And what's really fascinating is we both work here at Christ Chapel. We both have the opportunity to work in ministry together, serve at the same church. She is on staff at the West Campus. She's the high school girls director. Um, And like I said, we just love being able to do ministry together, and serve uh, serve on the same church staff. Now, as I was preparing for this this talk this weekend uh, and just the, the weeks leading up to this, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that you guys knew whenever you uh, were watching this and meeting me for the first time on screen was I'm a huge LSU fan. Now, I know that I will get text messages, phone calls, voicemails from my friends from college for saying that because I didn't go to LSU, but I'm from Louisiana, big LSU fan. When I was preparing for this, I was going to get up here and honestly kind of boast because LSU is coming off of a national championship and everything was going to be great, but this weekend happened and LSU lost. And so I don't have the opportunity to do that. Um, But if you don't remember anything about me, remember that I am a huge, huge LSU fan. Um, What I want to do before we get started is kind of recap where we're coming from. So last week, uh, in week three, Ken talked about the Son of God revealed. He spent time in John chapters 1 and 2 and walked through just different passages where we see Jesus begin to reveal Himself. He reveals Himself as the Son of Man, the Son of God. And as we'll see later on as we go into the passages uh, today, and I'll get into this more in a little bit, but the Son of God, uh, whenever Jesus refers to Himself that way, He is speaking into His deity and then the Son of Man is speaking into His humanity. And so through different stories, whether it was the wedding at Cana and just the miracles that happened there or Jesus cleansing the temple, uh, we, we see Jesus revealing Himself to His followers, to His disciples. Um, and then that, that cleansing of the temple kind of helps us lead into today where we talk about uh, just this being born from above, a spiritual cleaning or spiritual purification, um, if you will. And so today we're going to be in John chapters three and four, talking about the son's mission disclosed. So the mission is being disclosed after Jesus has revealed himself. So he has to reveal himself first, and then he's going to tell people why it is that he has come to earth and what he is. He's the, the savior of the world. Now, being in John chapters three and four, something that I want to to make sure that we all understand is specifically John 3.16, like that is one of the most famous verses, if not the most famous verse in the Bible. It is very easy to approach these passages with the idea or the thoughts of, okay, I understand this, I know what it is, and it's very easy to miss something. I mean, I will be completely honest with you guys, as I was preparing for this, I, I started to pray that the Lord would reveal to me and just show me what it is he's wanting to teach in these passages, but also that I would look at these passages with new eyes and fresh eyes because I grew up in the church. And so when I hear John 3, I think, oh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like I've got the main, the, the crux of everything. And so what I'm gonna ask you guys to do is kind of forget what we've learned in the past so that we can look at these with fresh eyes um, And not skip over some really important things because I was very far in my walk with the Lord whenever I realized that John 3.16 was Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Like Jesus is saying what he has done or what he's going to do to save the world uh, to a man who doesn't know that. Like this is the the Messiah saying this to a man and just adds so much weight to those verses. And so as we approach or as we go forward in John 3 and 4, um, let's keep that in mind uh, and keep that in the back of our head. So I'm going to pray for us and then we can get started. Lord, thank you for this day. God, I just thank you for bringing us together today, um, whether we're in our groups or watching online or watching by ourselves. God, I just pray that you would speak through me today. And it's not my words, but it's your words. Um, Father, I pray that as we, we look at John 3 and 4, that we would see why it is that you came uh, to earth and the mission that you came to, to fulfill and to do. And Father, I pray that as we, we go from today, we'll be able to um, just apply what it is that we're learning here, Lord. We're uh, applying, taking that gospel message to to everybody around us. Um, pray that you watch over us, keep us safe. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to jump right in uh, into John 3, verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So what I want to do first is emphasize the word Pharisees. This kind of gives us a context of who Nicodemus is and the background that he's coming from. Uh, The Pharisees were a religious sect uh, within Judaism during the time of Christ. They were fairly conservative in their theology, but the thing that they were really known for was being outwardly righteous. You know, we see all throughout Scripture that they are praying loud prayers, praying where everyone can see them, wearing the nice fancy robes. Uh, But they were mostly made up of the working class. But the, the thing that the Pharisees had to deal with was they tended to rely more on oral tradition than they did scripture. Now they knew scripture and had massive, if not all of the Old Testament memorized, but they relied a lot on oral tradition. And we actually see this in Matthew chapter 15. This is the Pharisees trying to, or they're talking to Jesus, trying to get after him about something that uh, the disciples have done. And it says, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat? He answered them, "And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition?" Now, in this verse, the the Pharisees aren't complaining about being hygienic. What they're talking about is the tradition of being spiritually clean. As I said, we'll get into that in a little bit, but um, or being ceremonially clean and or ceremonially unclean. And so Jesus here is telling them, why are you breaking the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So we see the emphasis on tradition there in the Pharisees. The Pharisees are oftentimes seen uh, in opposition to the Sadducees. The Sadducees were another religious sect within Judaism during the time of Christ. Now they were more wealthy and they had higher status in a sense when it came to wealth. But the, the Pharisees and Sadducees were in opposition, but they actually came together when it came to the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's when we see them together and trying to uh, really work together. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two religious sects and they made up a 70 member council, which was referred to as the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin was charged with upholding the Jewish law of the day. It was really the court of law for Israel and the Jewish people. Now it's important to know all this because this is the background that Nicodemus was coming from. He was, um, the Pharisees were seen in opposition to Jesus. They tried to trick him up often. And we see that all throughout the gospels where they're asking misleading questions or they're they're doing whatever they can to try to put Jesus in a trap. And so this is where Nicodemus is coming from. But then also one of the things that I wanna notice or focus on is it says that this man came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus came by night, and it also appears that nobody sent him. And so he, when he asked Jesus, he, he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So he has, he's curious. He has an idea that, okay, there's, there's something up with this guy, this, this Jesus. He's doing all these signs and he's doing all these things, but you can only do those things if you come from God. And so he's curious, but he knows that the Pharisees don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he's coming by night. He's coming by the, really the cover of night. So no one sees him coming. No one knows that he's coming and he doesn't come with anybody else. And so this just speaks volumes and everything that uh, Nicodemus believed is in really kind of contrast to what Jesus is going to be saying uh, in this passage. And so... As we pick up in verse 3, it says, This is Jesus answering Nicodemus. It says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? So, right off the bat, Jesus says, You have to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Something that I want to focus on is this word again. In the Greek, it's, it's the Greek word "onathan," and it can be translated to from above. And so another translation of this and really a better understanding of what the point Jesus is trying to get across here is, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what we're seeing here is really early on, Jesus is establishing that one must be born from above in order to see the kingdom of heaven. And so as we see here, Nicodemus gets very confused because he's like, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus thought Jesus was being literal. Now, we we read this passage and we know that Jesus is not being literal. But again, you have to remember where Nicodemus is coming from. This idea of being born again, being born from above, spiritually cleansed or purified from above is pretty foreign to Nicodemus or it's in the Old Testament and we see references to it, but Nicodemus had a misunderstanding of what those verses were. Uh, and so he, he's very confused and again, asks, how can someone be born again, enter his mother's womb again? This doesn't make a ton of sense. And this is because Nicodemus's thoughts on the coming kingdom were contrary to what Jesus was, was saying and what Jesus is going to say later on. Because um, being a Pharisee, Nicodemus believed that the Messiah would bring forth a physical kingdom. He would sit on the throne of David. He would rule. He would, uh, he would liberate the Jewish people from any kind of rule that was over them. But they thought that he was kind of, kind of be this, this military leader, uh, the Pharisees did. And so one of the major things is Nicodemus as a Pharisee, and really the Pharisees as a whole, believed that them being Jewish people, they could trace their line back to that of Abraham. Now that's important because because they could do that, they thought that they had an inherited right to the kingdom. And as we'll see here in a little bit, uh, Jesus is going to say, that just simply isn't the case. There's not enough that you can do, but you have to be born from above. So picking up in verse 5, Jesus, what he's going to try to do here is he's going to try to clarify his answer. Well, really for us, it's a clarification on his answer and a better explanation of his answer. But to Nicodemus, again, who is very confused at this moment, it doesn't make a ton of sense. So he says in verse 5, "...truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again." The wind blows where it wishes and you do not hear its sound, but you but you hear, and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So one of the things that I want to focus on here is there's a subtle shift in Jesus' answer so you, you kind of see him repeating unless one, one is born of the water and of the spirit, um, which we'll get into that in a second, but he says he cannot. Enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you go back to verse three, what you see in Jesus' first response to Nicodemus is he says, "Unless unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven." So Jesus changes his answer here, or not changes his answer, but goes even further to say, "Unless you are born from above, unless you are um, purified from above, coming from heaven, this purification, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven." And so this is important because Jesus is saying it's vital for, this being born from above is vital for anyone entering into or enjoying life in the kingdom that he is going to establish here on earth. Now, verse five, specifically this phrase, water and the spirit, born of the water and the spirit can be kind of difficult to understand. What it is, it seems to be that Jesus is saying that New birth is from above and it will involve the this, this spiritual cleansing of sort. And so this is an idea that Nicodemus should have been familiar with. Like I said earlier, we see references to this in the Old Testament, um, specifically in Isaiah chapter 4, it says, And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy everyone who's been recorded in, recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its myths, by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. And so this verse here, what it's referencing to the, the washing away or the purifying or being uh, born again, born, born from above and cleansed of the bloodstains, it, it's this idea that the spiritual purification or this cleansing from above is something that is going to have to happen in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this was in Isaiah. And again, the, the Pharisees would have had access to this. They would have seen this. And for us, where we can see this is we can see it throughout the gospels. But one example is in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, it says, and this is, well, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Something that I want to focus on here is the the reference there to the Holy baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire is it's it's creating this this comparison and contrast, and we see that here in Luke, but we're going to see that a lot in John. John does a lot of comparing and contrasting. We're even going to see that today in comparing Nicodemus to the Samaritan woman in John four, but being baptized with the Holy Spirit that is the the being born from above, being born again that Jesus is talking about, and then being baptized with fire is that reference to um, condemnation or, or judgment, internal separation from the Father. And so this is just a, a reference to this being born from above, the this, this spiritual purification in the New Testament, but we also see one in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus says the being born of the water and the spirit it's meant to let Nicodemus know that the kingdom he longs to see will only be occupied by those who have received purification from above. And so as we we move on, what we're going to see here is Nicodemus is still confused. And so picking up in verse 9, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly truly I say to you we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe how can I tell you heavenly things now we see in verse 9 that nicodemus is still very confused he doesn't understand what jesus is actually talking about because this is new to him this idea of being born from above in order to enter the kingdom of heaven as we said earlier nicodemus really thought that he could do all of these things, prayer, uh, you know, make sure he's at the temple all the time, all these different things. And he would um, have really the inherited right into the kingdom, but that is not what Jesus is saying here. And so he's confused and, and Jesus says, uh, really kind of gets funny. He says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand what it is that I'm saying. I, I'm standing here before you and telling you what has to happen. You have to be born from above. You're the teacher of Israel. You're the one that should be teaching these things. Why do you not understand? But again, but this just goes back to what Nicodemus' thoughts were on the coming kingdom of Christ, the, the, the kingdom that the Messiah was going to establish. Um, again, he believed that the kingdom was coming for those who could trace their line back to Abraham. He believed that um, if he, he prayed, did, was in the temple all the time, all these things, that's how he thought, Gaining entrance to the kingdom was going to happen. Um, In this, in this ver, this section of John, what we see is Jesus saying that there's never going to be enough that you can do. There's never going to be enough works that you can do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, And we we see references uh, to this throughout Scripture. But Jesus is telling him, "Look, Nicodemus, you can do all of these things. You can." pray often, you can trace your line back to Abraham, but that's not what you have to do to, to enter the kingdom of heaven. What has to happen is you have to be born from above. You have to be born again. And to make that point, you can look in James chapter 2. Uh, it says, you believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In this verse, what it, what it helps us understand is uh, it emphasizes what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, right? He's, he's saying that you can do all these things, but in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, that the Messiah is going to establish one day here on earth, you have to be born from above. And so one of the things I actually want to focus on here real quick before moving on is in John 3, uh, verses 9 through 12. We see Jesus refer to himself in the plural form which is kind of strange because right now it's just Nicodemus and Jesus that are talking. And so why he refers to himself in plural, um, it's kind of interesting. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. What is happening here is, is Jesus is referencing the Godhead. He's referencing the Trinity um, with Talk of the Holy Spirit, and then a few weeks ago we talked about the hypostatic union, and we talked about how God or Jesus is God, and how important and crucial that is to our Christian faith. Right here, this is Jesus doing that. He is referring to himself in the plural form because he is referencing the Trinity. He is referencing the Godhead here. And then another thing that we'll we'll see here is really uh, in the coming verses. Let's see going forward. In verse thirteen it says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is Jesus continuing his answer uh, to or really his second response to Nicodemus. Um, but what he's saying is he he really drops kind of a truth bomb. He says he's the Son of Man. He tells Nicodemus that I am, Jesus is saying, I am the son of man. And this is, like, this is him saying that he is the Messiah. And this kind of fulfills what we see in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. And this is Daniel speaking. He says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And so this is, Nicodemus would have understood this. Nicodemus would have read these passages. He would have known what they were. He would have understood these references but he was missing that Jesus was saying, this son of man that you read here in Daniel, that is me. He, he is saying that I am the Messiah. He was standing right before Nicodemus saying, I am the Messiah, and he was missing this point. Um, but then something else that I want us to focus on in these passages, or in really verses 13 through 15, it says, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So, or as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him May have eternal life. Right here, the reference to Moses was something that John's readers, John's readers, and Nicodemus would have understood the reference to. It it goes back to a story in Numbers twenty-one, where the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and really kind of complaining to God for the current situation that they were in. And so, what happens is God sends in fiery serpents, and a lot of people. In Israel, or a lot of the Israelites are bitten by the serpents and die. And so the, what the people do is they go to Moses and they really plead with Moses. And they're like, Moses, you've got to plead before God for this to stop. And so Moses does. And what has to happen is God tells Moses that he has to raise up a golden serpent and that if anybody is bitten by one of the serpents in, you know, amongst the Israelites, he has to go stand before this golden serpent and he will be made well. And what this is, is it's kind of really pointing us forward when, when Jesus says this, he's pointing forward to what he's going to be doing, uh, When he's going to be t- taking our sins and making uh, making us well, helping us to be born from above um, in order to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here, when Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, he's referring to, to his death. He's predicting his death. He's going, he's talking about um, his coming crucifixion, that whoever believes in that may have eternal life. A theological term that is used a lot of times here to describe um, Jesus, or here, the Son of Man being lifted up, his crucifixion, is something uh, it's known as substitutionary atonement. And it's this idea that Jesus is going to take our sins and put them, or he takes our sins, put them on himself so that when he is crucified, he is sacrificed. If we believe, we can have eternal life. And we see that in the coming verses. But a reference to this, really this, this substitutionary atonement, him um, being our substitute, atoning for our sins, is seen in Isaiah chapter 53, um, verse 5. He says, it says he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what Jesus was going to do. This is what Jesus came to earth to do, which we see emphasized in the coming verses um, in John three. So John three sixteen, picking up there, Jesus is continuing talking, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So again, these verses here. John 3, 16 is wildly known. It is known, um, like I said, I grew up in church and this was the first verse that I ever memorized. And so we hear this verse now and it just takes on so much more weight because we understand that what Jesus is talking about here is what he's going to do, but he's telling somebody that doesn't know that. He's telling them, God so loved the world that he sent me, that whoever believes in me should not perish, but have eternal life. And he. The Son of Man, the Messiah, is telling that to Nicodemus. Yet Nicodemus, we'll see later on, just is still confused. But in verse seventeen, he said, "God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." Guys, this is the mission that Jesus, the Son, um, came to do. What we see here, like we we've titled this uh, this week, "The Son's Mission Disclosed." Jesus discloses his mission to us right here. He said that he has come to not condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He has come to save the world through his substitutionary atonement, his atoning of our sins. Um, That's how he's come to save the world. And in verse 18, it says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is Jesus telling Nicodemus, I'm bringing this good news to you. He, he Again, like I said, it, is, it takes on so much more weight because the son of man, the Messiah is saying this to Nicodemus, someone who doesn't understand. What we see going into verse, verses 19 through 21 is we're gonna see John really create this comparing and contrasting of light and darkness. And we've, we've kind of seen this already in the gospel of John, Right. Back in John 1, Jesus is described as the light of the world. We see, uh, we see this, this illustration already, and we're going to see John continue to build on this. And so picking up in verse 19, it says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so verses 19 through 20, what we're seeing is this comparing and contrasting of uh, the light and the darkness. So Jesus here is the light. And we, we've already established that. We established that early in John, but here at the end of John three, or in the middle of John three, Jesus is the light. And the darkness represents our sin, uh, evil, uh, really just, the bad things in our lives. And that's what darkness is. And what we see here is Jesus saying, the light has come to the world, but the world has chosen darkness. One of the things is important to understand here is Jesus, when saying this to Nicodemus, is in a way calling out his sin because the Pharisees, as we have said earlier, the Pharisees did all these outwardly righteous acts but inwardly we're greedy, and we're just a bunch of other things that weren't considered righteous. And so Jesus is saying essentially that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, for the most part, they were sinning uh, in secret. So when nobody saw them. And using the references or using the illustrations to light and darkness, what's happening here is Jesus is really saying that light when shining in the darkness exposes what's really there. And that is the power of the gospel that's the power of what Jesus came to do is it's to he's in his sacrifice he is revealing our sin to us which is the first step of being born from above this right here is really where our story with Nicodemus ends we see him a couple other times in the gospel of John but for right now we're kind of left with this cliffhanger of Nicodemus not understanding what it is that Jesus is talking about. He's not understanding that the mission of Jesus was to come and save the world. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. Yet Nicodemus just doesn't understand. And so we walk away from this story with Nicodemus still being a little confused. But what I wanna do now is I want us to jump to John chapter four. We'll come back to the ending part of John three later, but jumping to John four, we're going to see another story where Jesus is interacting with um, just one person and is going to again reveal himself, but we 're going to see him reveal and disclose this mission that we 've seen him talk to John or to Nicodemus about. So if we will turn to John chapter four, um, what we need to understand here is this this passage is about the Samaritan woman, something that we need to establish is Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The Jewish people thought that the Samaritans were half-breeds. They thought they worshiped false gods. They kind of had like a half-worship is what the Jewish people thought of the Samaritans where they worshiped God, but also worshiped other gods. And so they, the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans. And in the beginning of John chapter four, what is happening is Jesus and his disciples are traveling and they stop in Samaria just passing through Samaria as a Jewish man would have been unheard of, let alone stopping. And so the fact that Jesus stops and sits at a well in Samaria, John's readers would have been baffled. They would would have been like, why in the world is a Jewish man stopping in Samaria? And so with that in mind, let's go to John chapter four, verse seven. It says, "'A woman from Samaria came to draw uh, draw water. "'Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink, "'for his disciples has gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from a from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." Again, it just kind of puts forth this idea, and specifically John notes it here. He says, "For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans." He wants his readers to understand the gravity of what Jesus is about to say to this woman. So, going forward into. Uh, Verses really it's nine through twelve, but here in verse ten Jesus answered her, If you knew of the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So right now what we have is really a similar story to that of Nicodemus. Jesus is once again, slowly but surely revealing his identity to somebody who is just missing the point, isn't understanding, I mean, is confused by what he's actually saying, right? If you you think back to Nicodemus, he was saying, you have to be born from above, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus asked, so I have to, go back into my mother's room. How can a a man, a grown man, be born again, born a second time? And you hear what Jesus is saying, as we'll see, is Jesus can provide this thirst-quenching water that uh, the Samaritan woman wants. And what's fascinating here, and we need to make the point, is this woman came to Jesus in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, At the beginning of John 4, what we see is Jesus is sitting at the well, and it's, in the heat of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, when nobody comes to the well and this woman shows up. And we'll see the importance of that here in a minute. But she's, she's coming and she's saying, where is this living water that you're talking about so that I never have to come back to this well again? Um, and again, she's missing the point. She's, she's confused. And so picking up in John 4, verse 13 through 15, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will uh, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And so this kind of brings forward this point, right? Of she did not understand what Jesus was saying. we in a similar story to that of Nicodemus. She where Jesus was kind of cryptically speaking, but she did not understand. She thought he was talking about an actual spring where she could go grab some water and never have to be uh, thirsty again. It is really important in this moment for us to not miss the contrast that John is drawing here, right? A a well-educated Jewish Pharisee, and as we'll see here in a minute, an adulterous Samaritan woman, both found themselves in a conversation with Jesus, with the Son of God, the Messiah. They both did not understand the, wor- understand the words that he was saying. And they didn't understand the spiritual nature of what it is that he was saying. And so, like I said, the Samaritan woman thought he was talking about an actual spring of water. And so moving into verses, uh, or sorry, or looking at verses 13 and 15 we see, through 15, we see uh, the similarities here. But one of the things that I want to focus on is this. They both, a Samaritan woman to the Jewish people would have seen, been seen as lowly, and then, then Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a religious elite person. Jesus is talking to both of them and bringing this message of hope, he is, that he is the savior of the world, to both of them. And so again, G, uh, this woman still thought that Jesus was talking about actual water um, but one I want to make sure that we're actually, or that we're we're noticing here, is remembering that Jesus said that of the flesh is flesh, and that of the spirit is spirit. And again, he's trying to convey that being born into the family of Israel was not enough to enter the kingdom of heaven for Nicodemus. And then here, um, this woman needed a different kind of water to quench her spiritual thirst, and so. In these cryptic saying, this is what Jesus is trying to get for. This is what Jesus is trying to get these people to understand: is that He is the Savior of the world. He has come, uh, and He can quench your thirst. You have to be born again, uh, born from above. And so, just like Nicodemus, she was really kind of missing the point. Um, Here, it's really easy to overlook that. Nicodemus and this, this Samaritan woman both worship God, right? They both, um, Nicodemus worshiped in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the mountain that they're on in John 4, the Samaritan woman says, this is where the Samaritans worship. Um, but they both, they both worship God. They both worshiped Yahweh, but they failed to account the need, their personal need for a savior. Uh, they were clueless to his mission. And as we see Jesus slowly but surely revealing this to this, this woman, um, we see that she is misunderstanding the point. Despite both Nicodemus and uh, the Samaritan woman, their obvious differences, they're going to be denied entrance into the kingdom of heaven for the same reason, and that was their sin. Um, and we'll get into uh, w- what the sin for the Samaritan woman is here um, in verses 19 through 20, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband and what you you have said is true. And so Jesus going from speaking of this spiritual water, this thirst quenching water, changes the subject to her sin, just like we saw him do really with Nicodemus and talking about the light and the darkness. And immediately the woman feels uncomfortable. We, we see her um, in later verses try to change the subject, right? Of Jesus calls this out on her and she wants to change the subject to uh, we worship here, the Jews worship here. And so she's trying to get the subject off of herself. Um, but Jesus brings it back to her in uh, chapter four, verse 23. He says, And the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Guys, I want us to to focus here on just this absolute truth bomb that Jesus drops on this woman. He, he straight up tells her that, she, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus tells her, I am that Messiah. Can you imagine being this Samaritan woman who, after this man just really revealed her sin, uh, the, her sin in secret, whether or not he knew it or he did know it, but whether or not other people knew it, he reveals her sin. And then she changes the subject and says, I know the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus says, I who you speak to am he. She is face to face with the son of man. She is face to face with the Messiah. What I wanna do here is I want us to compare and contrast the response of both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. So as we remember Nicodemus, what he what happened with him is he, we left this conversation confused. Now the Samaritan woman, what we're gonna see here in uh, moving down to verse 39 uh, of chapter four, we see her response to Jesus telling her that he was the son of man and what happened. So picking up in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And this is her speaking. She said, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. So guys, she goes into the town and tells everyone. She was face to face with the Messiah, understood her need for a savior and her sin and goes and tells everyone. And it says many Samaritans from the town believed in him. And this is massive because again, going back to Samaritans and the Jewish people not getting along, the fact that this Samaritan woman speaking to a Jewish man who tells her that he is the Messiah and she runs and goes and tells everybody that she, uh, everybody that she can see and so the, the fact that Samaritans were coming to know Jesus and believing that he was the savior of the world as we see in verse 42, this is a huge, huge deal. And again, one of the things that I want us to remember is Jesus brought this same hope, the same message of hope to the, the lowly Samaritan woman and the religious elite Nicodemus, uh, the religious elite Pharisee. The same message goes to both of them. And that's something that I want us to remember as we go forward and go uh, into our weeks, remembering that this message of hope is for everyone. And so something that I want to do now is I said that there's a little passage between uh, each of these stories. So you've got Nicodemus in the, the beginning of John 3, and then in John 4, you've got the Samaritan woman. But between each of these, between the Samaritan between each of these stories is John the Baptist really affirming everything that we've learned and everything that Jesus said about himself up to this point. And so in John 3, verses 31 through 36, it says, And he comes from he who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard yet no one receives his testimony. That kind of goes back to the, the light and darkness, them choosing the darkness over the light. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. Guys, verse thirty-six here shows us what Jesus came to do. It's his mission. He revealed it both to Nicodemus and to the Samaritan woman. It's he's come to give us eternal life. He has come to be the Savior of the world, as we see in verse uh, chapter four, verse forty-two. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and so. As we uh, look at this passage, we understand that John the Baptist is affirming everything that Jesus has said about himself and that the mission of the Son, and John the Baptist is telling us here, just like Jesus has, that if we believe in the Son, we have eternal life. And so as we close out our time together today, I have just a few for further thought questions that I would love for you guys to discuss in your at your tables in your groups, um, kind of diving deeper into uh, just these these two chapters. But the first one is, you know, Jesus tells us that the world loves the darkness, and so what in your life can you pray that the Lord would reveal to you that you love more than the light of the world? We see Jesus kind of do this with Nicodemus as he was revealing to him that there are parts of his life that he loves the darkness more than he loves the light of the world, and so. As we talk amongst our tables or as you're going throughout the week, pray that the Lord would reveal those things to you. And then ask others to come alongside you and pray for you in those aspects as well. The second question is, what do we learn about the gospel message in John 3 and 4 that we need to share with others? In this question, what I want us to focus on is Jesus took this message of hope to both Nicodemus, a a religious elite Pharisee, and a Samaritan woman, a person that Jews don't talk to. So what can we learn from that message of hope going to two diametrically opposed people and how we can move forward in our weeks, remembering the importance of that? And then lastly, as you go throughout the week, how can you worship God in spirit and truth? We see that repeated oftentimes in, these, in this chapter. And so how can we go forward in, our, in this week and really the weeks to come, how can we worship God in spirit and in truth? I'm gonna pray for us and then you guys can discuss amongst your tables. Lord, thank you for this day. God, I just thank you for giving us this just wonderful passage of you revealing yourself and revealing your mission to come and be the savior of the world. Um, If we believe in you, we will have eternal life, Um, spend eternal life with you. God, I just pray that as we go throughout our week, Lord, that you would just constantly remind us of this message of hope, that you would constantly remind us why it is that you came to earth. God, I pray that you would just watch over us and you would keep us all safe this week. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.